Okay, so this is John's greeting to the seven churches. Uh, This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who was always, was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for, uh, for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Fantastic. I love that. He is, he is the King of Kings. It's Jesus Christ, He is the King of Kings. And uh, the, the other version says, uh, He has made us kings and priests unto our, unto our God. Who makes us kings and priests? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, He is the King of He is the King of Kings. He is the King of Kings, and He makes us kings and priests. So this morning, we are here, if we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, he has made you a king and a priest. A king and a priest. If you have a female gender here this morning, just like I have to be called the bride of Christ. You can also be a king, woman. But as we know, also kings and queens, maybe just left that out a bit this morning. But, but this morning, he has made us kings and priests unto our God. If you're here this morning, you've received Jesus Christ, he makes you a king and a priest. doesn't matter what age you are, you could be 13, you could be 14, you could be a young person, you could be an older person, does not matter. He has made us, he has made you kings and priests. He has made us kings and priests unto our God. One of the things we're going to talk about this morning is uh, the role of priests and kings are quite different. And this morning we're going to talk about kings. There is a time where uh, in our lives, God anoints us as kings, but there comes a time when we are made kings and queens. There's a difference between, I believe, that when God anoints us, there's a, often there's a time difference when God anoints us for something and when our time arises. And uh, so this morning, the function of kings and priests are quite different. I'm not going to uh, pull that apart this, up this morning, but... What I do want to look at is the role of kings. And the role of kings, uh, they have a, a number of different roles, but I want to just encapsulate it and to just focus on two parts this morning. One is their role is to enlarge territory. Their role is to enlarge the kingdom. That's what they're there, that's what they're there to do. They enlarge the kingdom. Us as Christians, one of the things that we are called to do as kings unto our God is to enlarge the kingdom of God in this world. Amen. So kings have a dominion in which they rule. All of us in our lives, we have a, we have a realm of dominion. That it's, it's around our family. It can be around our workplace. It can be in our business. All of us have a measure of God, a measure, a dimension of God that's entrusted to us in order to rule. But not just to keep it status quo, but to enlarge it. So one of the things as kings, what we're called to do is enlarge the dimension, enlarge the territory that God has placed around us. Another role, another function of kings is this, is that we reclaim that which has been stolen. We reclaim territory that's been previously taken from us. And this morning, uh, all of us are kings and queens, kings and priests, kings and queens, and we're called not just to enlarge God's kingdom, but there's territory out there that is rightfully yours. 
there is a space, there is wealth, there is matter, there is, there is a dimension out there that has been rightfully yours, which has been taken. Maybe that's been in your family. Maybe that's been uh, financial. Maybe that's been part of your heart. Maybe that, wherever that has been, however that is reflective in your life. When I look back at my life, I can see, one, that there is territory God has for me to go and grasp. There is territory God wants to enlarge me into. But I can also see territory there that has been taken, that it's been lost, and God wants to bring that back into our lives. Amen. Maybe it's part of your soul. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's relationship. Wherever that is, however the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, you are a king and a priest. And this morning, we want to talk about the making and breaking of kings. Because sometimes there are times when kings are made. You can be anointed as a king. But there's times when kings are made. There are times when kings are broken. And I believe in the world that there are people here today, even within the church, God has anointed you kings, but there are sometimes they lose their kingship. They lose their kingship. Sometimes there are circumstances where you are made as a king. So there are circumstances, I believe, that define our lives, and those, those defining moments can shape eternity, can shape generations after generation. So this morning, we're going to look at, uh, we'll look at a couple of examples of the making and breaking of kings. And this morning, you'll find yourself in a position at times that'll either make you or break you. And depending on how you handle that, depending on how you respond to that, will change everything. It could change generations. It will change, it will influence thousands and thousands of years or hundreds of years down the track, depending on the decisions that you make, how you respond. I made decisions a, a while ago to, uh, when we went to Pakistan, and, and those decisions were not made in the, in the easiest times. However, we still made the decision to do that right now. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have come to Christ and are hearing the gospel because I made a decision. You too can make decisions like that. Whatever dimension that God measures to you, you can be a king. God wants you to be a king. As a king, we don't just sit there and expect people to kiss our rings and, and do nothing and just, you know, do whatever. As a king, you're called to action. As a king, you're called to do something with it. God doesn't anoint you as a king just so you can be flattered. God anoints us as kings for action, to bring hope, to bring life to people. Today, our community, our nation, needs the kings of God to stand up, and bring hope, to reclaim territory, bring back our loved ones, bring back our loved ones from the destruction of the enemy. So this morning, let's unpack that a little bit. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. Amazing piece of scripture. 1 Samuel, chapter 30. What we're going to talk about is the, the making of a king. Now, we know this story is about David, and we know previously David had been anointed as king. But here is an example where David asserts his authority as a king. This is a, a moment in time where the king within David stands up. 1 Samuel chapter 30. It starts off at 1. And now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day 
that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burnt it with fire. And they had taken captive the women and all those that were with them, women, children, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them and went on their way. So David and his men came to that city and where it was, it was burnt with fire. Their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And then David and his people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. They had no more power to weep. This records one of the greatest tests in David's life. The circumstances put David into a position where it was a do or a die. What an incredible position to be in. His response to this test, his response to this, would either confirm his authority as a king or it would be taken from him or it would be his end. All of us find ourselves in places, in situations where it can either confirm our authority as the kings and queens that God has called us to be or it can be the breaking of us. All of us will find those things. His response, there'll be a warning about what's going to happen. It just happened, and it's at that time, at that moment, that you make a decision that reflects the type of person that you are. The Bible says that they, David and his people with him had no more power. They wept so much, they had no more power to weep. That is the sign of a broken person. I cannot imagine what it would be like for those 600 men, men of war, men of valor, powerful, solid, tough guys. To come to a point where they were broken, where they had no more power, screaming and crying and weeping. How long did this go on for? I don't know. But what it brought them to a place, it brought them to a place where they were emotionally bankrupt. They had nothing left in them. What could they do? Could you imagine the horror, the terror, the circumstance that you'd come back and find yourself in a place where everything that you loved was taken from you? Everything that was closest to you. It's not just talking about material things. We're talking about people. You're talking about your wife. You're talking about your kids. It's reflective of your destiny. Your future hope, your future destiny. Taken and stripped from you. For some people, you find yourself in a circumstance where your whole world has just fallen apart. All your hopes, all your dreams. How you thought things could work out. If you're anointed by the Holy Spirit, surely life should go well. (laughs) Obviously not. The Bible says that David was a man, a tender, loving person after God's own heart. Surely, life would go well for somebody like him. Surely, life would go well for somebody that just loves Jesus with all their heart. Soft, tender, loving person. No. Unfortunately, we see in this circumstance, David gets to a point where everything taken. The Bible says that even got to a point where his own, his own brethren were about to stone him, were about to kill him. I don't know about you, but maybe you've been in a situation not quite like that, but it kind of feels like that. Everything that you trusted, you thought things would work out, but no. Your hope, your future is, your hope and your future has all been taken. These are the points. These are moments in time that can either make us or break us. 
One of the things I really want to just look at this morning, not only did David have to deal with his own personal loss, but he also had to deal with the losses of the people around him. All these people around him were now looking for somebody to blame. Facing Goliath was one thing. To face 600 angry men is another thing. (laughs) Another test of David's kinship. It looked like David was done for. And I believe that many of us will come to a point in our lives at times where we'll have a zigzag experience. Friends, this can either come to pass and break us, or we can make something happen out of it. How would you respond? One of the things I really want to look at this morning is, uh, is a couple of, I just want to break the situation, just break the scenario down, because I want to find, make it really become relevant. And So one of the things you've got to understand, what, there's David, who else are involved in the story? Who else is involved here? David's men? Who else? Families? One other group of people. They were the uh, uh, Amalekites. The Amalekites. And it's interesting to note that the Amalekites play a pivotal role in this. The Amalekites play a pivotal role in this. One of the things you know about the Amalekites was this, that the same people that, that, made, that created the situation for David to make his kingship was the same group of people that destroyed another king. It was the same group of people who were involved in the making and the breaking of kings. Same group. It's the Amalekites. It's an amazing pattern when you start to see this. So one of the things, if you look at, the Amalekites came back from a, from, from a, a person by the name of Amalek. That's what I called Amalekites. So it's interesting to look at who the Amalekites were and who Amalek was. One of the things that we know is when you look back and through back the timeline, we can look back to the Esau. We all know who Esau was somebody that was, uh, what do we know about Esau? That he sold his, he sold his birthright. There was contention there, and he sold his birthright. He, did, he made a bad choice, and it cost him everything. But the thing is, it's like, one of the things is, uh, so Esau had kids. One of his kids married, got together with a woman, and they had a kid. And this kid was called Amalek. So Saul, who despised his birthright, listen to the pattern through here. So Saul, who despised his birthright, gave birth to Amalek. And so one of the things we know about Amalek, if we um, uh, do some research on it, so Amalek was, he was raised in the tents of Esau. So can you imagine somebody like Esau having sold his birthright? He wasn't a happy chappy about it. After he had sold, after it had been taken from him, he would have been an angry, angry man. I can imagine that every day living around Esau, he would be filled with rage, he'd be filled with bitterness, he'd be filled with spite. And it's in this environment that Amalek was raised. This is the environment that Amalek was raised. So as we go on, as we go on down the track a little bit, we know that the Israelites, they got brought into captivity. And so Egypt means a confinement, a, space, a place of confinement. So we know that when God brought out the Israelites, the people of God, he was bringing them out of a place of confinement into a promised land. And so you may wonder, how does this this all come together anyway? Well, one of the things is, circumstances may be different, but the principles still apply. And so God was bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt, 
into a place of promise. Just like us today, he is bringing us out of a place of confinement and into a place of promise. That's the progressive, that's the pattern that God wants to bring us into. One of the things that we find is that when, so after, or after Pharaoh let him go, uh, after Pharaoh let the people of God go, they came to the Red Sea and then they crossed the Red Sea. The first people that they came across when they came against, when they crossed the Red Sea was who? The Amalekites. So the Amalekites lived a long distance away from this particular place. So one of the things that must have happened is the Amalekites must have traveled a long, long way to get to the people of God and to attack them. One of the things you notice about the Amalekites is, and uh, when you look back, uh, so Amalek never denied the existence of God or anything like that. He just didn't care. The Amalekites were incredibly brutal. They had a hatred. They had something inside of their spirit that was aggressively against the people of God. And one of the things that you'll see is in Exodus, Joshua, one of the battles that made Joshua the man that he was, was when he fought the Amalekites. It was a making of Joshua. One of the things that the Bible talks about is in Deuteronomy chapter 25, uh, God said in verse 17 to 19, God said these words, remember what the Amalekites did to you when you came out of Egypt. Remember what the Amalekites did. When you were weary and when you were worn out, they met you on the journey and got you from behind. That shows you the type of spirit, that shows you the type of people that the Amalekites were. When people were tired, when people were down, when people were weary, when they were sick, they would seize that opportunity and come and get them from behind. And sometimes you find in life that the devil is still the same, that you can become down, you can become out of faith, you can become weary and tired, and it's that point where somebody or something comes up and tries to get you. So one of the things that you'll find is, uh, so the Amalekites harassed the people of God along the way. Remember what the Amalekites did. They had no fear of God. When the Lord gives you rest from all the enemies around you under the, in the land that he has given you to possess his inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from heaven. And don't you forget. So God is saying this to the people of God. Don't you forget to deal with this thing of Amalek. Don't you forget. And this is all going to come together real shortly. Don't you forget to deal, don't you forget what the Spirit did to you, how he robbed you, how he robbed your kids, how he robbed you of this, how he robbed you of that. Don't you forget how nasty this is, he's saying. And then, of course, we move along a little bit further into, into 1 Samuel, chapter 15. And so Saul, the king of Israel, the anointed king of Israel at that time, came up against the Amalekites. And so we can read that... Um, uh, in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 2 to 3, God tells King Saul, I'm going to punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they gave them a hard time when they, came out of, when they came out of Egypt. So this is generations later, and God said, I'm going to remember these boys, what, what they did to my people. I want you, Saul, to go and get these boys. I want you to destroy every last one of them. Go get them. Don't spare any of them. Put to death everything. The Bible says that King Saul was a mighty warrior and was victorious over Amalek, virtually destroying the nation. 
However, he took Agag, the king of Amalek, alive, and the people and Saul had pity on Agag, the king of Amalek, and on the Amalekite flocks, Amalekite flocks and cattle. So one of the things, he, he nearly wipes out the whole lot, but however, at one point they have pity on the spirit. They have pity on the Amalekites. God said, wipe them all out. God said, wipe them all out. They're going to be a problem. They're a problem. They harassed you. They harassed people. They harassed my people. Wipe them all out. Don't spit anything. Must there come a point where Saul and, and his people started to comp- compromise? Or do we really have to deal with that? Do we really? That looks too good to deal with. They look pretty. You've got to understand that Amalekite, the king of Amalekites were a very, very sm- slippery character. Very slippery character. And so Saul's rebellion, so one of the things that we find about that, that, so Saul had pity. Saul let him go. Saul let him go, and the people also let him go. And, uh, and this really upset God. And it's interesting, so he allows the Amalekite king to, to live, takes the plunder for himself and his army, and then lies about the reason for doing so. So Saul's rebellion against God are so serious that he is rejected by God as king. His failure to deal with Amalek, his failure to deal with the Amalekites was so serious in the eyes of God that his kingship was taken from him. There are some things in our life that matter so much to God that if we don't deal with them properly, they can disqualify us from our future blessing. Not only can they disqualify you, but they can affect generation after generation after generation. You see, from Saul, uh, Esau, now you see it down with Saul, failed to deal with it. So you can see after a brief and futile denial by Saul, that he eventually admitted his transgressions, and Samuel, the prophet, said, bring me this boy Agag. Bring me this Amalekite. I love this. So this king Agog, the Amalekite, hears that he'd been summoned by the prophet. When a man of God stands up and makes a declaration, bring this boy to me, I tell you, it's, bring a, it's going to bring put kings shaking in their boots. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And when you stand in your position, the kings of the earth will bow down. So Samuel, the prophet of God, said, bring me this boy. You king didn't do it. Bring me this king. And so Agog, the king, is on his way. He says, oh, no. The prophet is after me. The prophet of God is after me. So Samuel turned back after Saul. So Samuel, in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 32, Samuel said, bring Agag, the king of the Amalekites, here to me. Bring him. I love this. So Agag came to him cautiously. <laughs> you be very careful when you stand around a man of God. Agag came to him cautiously. Oh, I've heard about this guy, Samuel. I heard he moves in a power it's beyond anything that I've heard of. He came cautiously. So Agag said to him, again he tried to reason with him. He knew he's in trouble. He tried to reason. He said, Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. In other words, surely we can just forget about all that from the past. 
all those bad things. Surely we can move past that. You're a man of God. Surely you can overlook that, can't you? You're a prophet of God. Surely, can't you just let that go? Can't you just drop it? I love Samuel's response. Noah. <laughs> Samuel's response was this. As your sword has made woman childless, and so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel chopped him up. The king wouldn't do it, so a prophet came. Sam, the Bible says, Samuel cut him to pieces. Such is the ferocity of Amalek. Such is the ferocity of this spirit of Amalek that comes against God's people. It's not something that you've got to deal with nicely. It's something that you've got to put to the sword. Interesting, when you look at, I won't unpack it right now, but when you look at the genealogy, something must have happened by the time Agag got caught and down the track. Because one of the things, if you follow the genealogy down, you'll find that that same tension between the people of God, the house of, uh, house of God, and the house of Amalek continued for generations. Something that must have happened, uh, uh, my understanding is through, through research, is that he must have found a woman and must have had a kid, got her pregnant at that point. Because when you look down the track, another thousand years down the track after that happened, before Agog got killed by the prophet, there's something he must have done. Down the track, we read about Esther. And again, we have somebody called Haman trying to pull and trying to destroy the, men of, uh, the, the people of God. You understand that? You track both the genealogies back, you'll find that Haman was a direct descendant of Amalek. Mordecai and Esther were direct descendants of Saul. So you understand, get the picture. This is a spirit that comes against God's people to rob, kill, and destroy. It comes to rob destiny. It comes to rob. It will take anything it can off your life. Not only does it stay for one generation, but we see it stays for generation after generation after generation. It's it's in direct conflict against the men and women of God. It's not just a physical group of people. It is a spirit that's consistently against you and I. And it's that same spirit Joshua had a go at and prevailed. Samuel had a go at and cut him to pieces. Saul was supposed to, but compromised. Let him go. He he lost his kingship. After that, the Bible says, because you have disobeyed God in fighting the Amaleks, your kingship has been taken from you and given to another. David, another one. One of these battles here, one of the defining moments against the same group of people, the same spirit, Amalek. Thousand years down the track, Queen Esther, the making of her as a queen was when she came up against the same spirit. Today, you are here today as kings and priests of the Most High God. God anointed Samuel. God anointed Saul. God anointed David. God anointed Esther but they still had to stand up in their kingship and become a king. They still had defining moments in their life that either made them 
broken. That same spirit today is here against you. That same spirit will come up from behind. The sick and the weary and the tired ones, those who are not praying, those who have got weary in faith, and try and come and get them and try and entice them. When you're out doing something else like David, when no one's looking, it'll come in and, and rob you of your destiny. Rob you of your wives, rob you of your children, rob you of your future, rob you of your destiny. However it comes, get the picture of what it's like. It was cruel, had no fear or respect for God. All of us will find ourselves in that same place. We can be anointed as kings, but still just live our life. You can be anointed as a king, but come up to a situation that will assert your kingship and fold and lose it. Or you'll come up against something and stand up against it and will establish your kingship. It will establish the authority that God has placed upon your life. Right now in our community, right here in this place, God needs people like you who he has anointed as kings and priests to stand up in their kingship and they stand up in their kingdom authority and to bring the kingdom of God to extend it and to take back what's rightfully yours. Oh, come on, you can give Jesus a shout of praise. What has Amalek stolen from you? Has it been finance? Has it been destiny? Has it been your kids? What has it been? As a king, what do you need to get back? As a queen like Esther, standing up for her people, saved her people. Who are the people that God has called you to save? You're anointed as a king. If you don't do anything with it, you're going to lose it. God's not going to crown you at the end of the day just for, no, you'll be disqualified. However, if you took the, if you took the circumstance, when the circumstance arises, if you stand up as the king and the queen that God has called you to be, I tell you what, there will be a crown of glory waiting for you in heaven. Generation after generation will look back and say, my auntie, my great, 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 great grandmother, she stood up and she destroyed this. She bought this. We are blessed today because my great, great grandmother prayed. She did not lose faith. She did not lose hope. My great, great granddaddy, boy, everyone thought the economy was down, but my great, great, great granddaddy, he prospered. He defied whatever other business was doing. And he got blessed. And I'm blessed because of what my great, 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 great daddy said. What he did. In the face of adversity. My great, great, great granddaddy, that could be you. Stood up. Reclaimed territory. That's what vision is. Vision is not just a great idea that's going to happen one day. Vision is learn to see where you are now and learn to look down through the course of time, look around, see where you fit. David, the Bible says, one word. The circumstance was that the Malachites had robbed David and his, fam, and his men of all these things. One word. The story could have gone like this. The story could have gone to David tried to find a pastor, but there was no pastor. God, he tried to find a prophet. There was no prophet. Pray for him, prophesy, do something. I don't know. 
He couldn't find anyone, so he just stayed home from church. Stayed home. Just surrendered. He said, guys, they just, well, they just stoned me. And so David was stoned, and, and God had to find somebody else. Unfortunately, that's how it operates out in many churches and many Christians' lives today. There was no one there to care for me. There was no one there to prophesy over me. They didn't love me. Pastor didn't love me. He ever phoned me. He, was, he didn't even look at me on Sunday. You don't know what I was going through. He's just so mean. Not going to church anymore. No love there. One word, but, not talking about that but, B-U-T, not B-U-T-T. One word, but David, but David strengthened himself in God. Sometimes there will be moments where there's not going to be anyone there. The people that should have been there, whether they kill you. They didn't even, not even want to prophesy. They just wanted to kill him. There'll be times where you find yourself in a moment. You're not going to be, have time to prepare for it. You have to prepare now. David, I don't know how he strengthened himself in the Lord. Maybe he looked back and said, God, I know that you're with me when I slew Goliath. I know that you're with me. That your presence, when I was out there looking after the sheep, you were with me. I felt your presence. When I, took after the, when I took the lion and the bear on, I know, Lord, that you're with me. God, strengthen me today. Remember what he's done in your life. Remember how he saved you. You are lost in sin, but he saved you. Remember, he must have prayed. He must have worshipped. He must have done something. I don't know what he did, but he did something to encourage himself. As a king, you've got to learn to encourage yourself and God. If you want to take back that which has been stolen from you, it's not going to come on a platter. You have to encourage yourself in the, in the Lord, who is the King of Kings. Tap into his grace and strength. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Today, if you want to become the king, the queen that God has called you to be, like David, like Esther, like Samuel, like Joshua, strengthened himself in God. We're going to go get him back. I'm not just going to get my kids back, but my bro next to me, I'm going to fight for his family as well. And my other bro over there, I'm fighting for his kids too. Because his kids play with my kids. They're good friends. I'm going to go get their kids too. My kids, kids, kids. I want to have grandchildren. I want to have grandchildren that live in a a faithful environment. I'm going to fight for my grandkids. I want my grandkids, I want my kids, kids, kids to be blessed. I'm going to fight for them right now. That's what vision is. One person, all it took was David to say, we're going to go get him. David inquired of the Lord, you've got to be careful. Don't be rash, don't be brash. 
We're dealing with such a strong spirit. Got to get the wisdom of God. David inquired of God, what do you think? Help me in this. Help me in this. Speak to me. Get the revelation of God. Allow God to speak to you. God said, go get him. Overtake him. Run him down. You're going to recover all. The Bible says that David and his men got together. They hunted those bad boys down, and they just knocked them off, and they recovered, the Bible says, all of them. What is it in your life that you need to stand up and go recover? What's in your brother or your sisters? What's in the person, you know, the person along the road there? What's in their life? What's in their family that you need to stand up and fight for and go recover? Go fight for your kids. If you haven't got any kids, fight for somebody else's kids. <laughs> fight for your bro. Fight for your sister. Do something. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Just to one man, one great king, to encourage himself. And it changed the course of history. What would it have been like if 600 encouraged themselves in the Lord? What today could our community be like if not just one person encouraged themselves in the God? What would it be like if a few hundred stood up in their kingship and their queenship and said, we're going to go get them back? We're going to go bring God into our community. We're going to enlarge territory. We're going to go get something back. We're going to go get our kids get our finance, get our inheritance, get our sons, get our daughters back from drugs, get them back from addiction, get them back from depression. I can tell you here right now, there are people here who have had to stand up at times when there was nobody around. I know people like Peter Kirsten and Bruce and one like that um, know that there are times in their life where they had to encourage themselves and God. And now bringing hope, they're getting them back, getting your kids back, getting your family back. Who are you going to stand up for? We have the music team come on up. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come on, I want to just reach out to him right now, Holy Spirit. Let's take a moment right now. We welcome you in this place, Holy Spirit. Right now, Holy Spirit, we thank you that we have been anointed as kings and priests. Thank you for every person, every household represented in this place today. They're not a failure. Not just some poor Christian, you have anointed them as kings and priests unto you. Holy Spirit. Maybe there are people here this morning you have faced or possibly will face one day a moment when you have to make a decision to strengthen yourself in the Lord. I've had to make that a number of times, and I probably that I still will. What in your life? Where has Amalek tried to rob you? The critical tongue. The people are cynical. This reflection of the spirit of Amalek. 
It takes faith to overcome that. God has anointed you as a king. So who are you going to fight for? What territory do you need to take back? Where is God calling you to enlarge into? What situation are you facing right now? It may feel like the whole world is against you. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. That, my friends, is faith. Who is there around you right now that is weak? Maybe not walking with the Lord properly, maybe just falling away. I need somebody like Joshua that could protect them from the Amalekite. Who do you need to go out to? Who do you need to go out and reach? Holy Spirit. Why don't you just all stand on your feet right now? Just going to close. Why don't you just lift your hands up to the Lord right now, just where you are. Just hold those words in your heart. For He has made us kings and priests unto our God. What does it feel like to be a king of the Most High? Today let God anoint you afresh. Let him strengthen your spirit afresh. Where you've been pulled down, where you've been cynical, where you've been criticized, picked off from behind. Allow God to strengthen you. Strengthen yourself this morning. Be the king, be the queen that God has called you to be. Amen. Amen. Why don't you turn to the person?